Good morning, Central Park. How are you doing this morning? All right, for the, all right, for the two people that are doing well. All right, thank you. I'm just going to assume, internet crowd, that you were yelling at me. Yeah, we're doing wonderful. So um, I want to say again what an honor it is to be in this pulpit. I do not take this responsibility lightly. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm a little bit terrified, which I think is probably a good place to be because anytime we open the Word, I think that should be uh, a good place to be. So a couple of things. We're going to be in Psalm 63. So if you want to turn to Psalm 63, just a couple of quick announcements. First of all, um, I was just thinking of this while I was playing. I meant to share this in the first service and completely forgot about it. Thank you to you, church, for continuing to be faithful to give. Um, I guess this officially makes me a pastor because I'm standing in the pulpit and talking about tithing. So, um, but it has, literally, it has allowed ministry to continue. Um, we are, our, our student ministry this Wednesday is gonna hang out and eat pizza. And it's because, and you're thinking, what's the big deal of that? It, it's just allowed us to continue ministry whatever that looks like in this season. And so I wanna say thank you for that. Okay, that's not some exaggeration or, or some sort of push, hey, you need to make sure you tithe, and I just wanna say thank you. Also, um, to Chris and Daniel and our tech team who have been working hard since, um, before March, obviously, but specifically since March, that has allowed our uh, sermons to continue going out. I know they're going out today. Um, my mom and my grandmother are in Oklahoma watching, and so, I mean, there are people who are seeing this literally all over the country, and so tech team, Chris, Daniel, thank you guys for making sure that things could remain semi-normal. Um, I mean, normal, is that even a word that we can use nowadays? But thank you guys um, for letting that happen. So I was excited when Matt said, you want to continue to preach in the Psalm series? Absolutely. And so the Psalms have been kind of a soundtrack in my life the last couple of years um, because of Shane and Shane. <laughs> and uh, I've found myself for the last two years uh, singing loudly God's word through the melodies of Shane and Shane. And so just a quick overview of this Psalm and then we'll read through it and then see what God has for us today. This psalm is often called the wilderness psalm. Uh, the psalm opens as if it were a lament, but we see quickly as it moves that this is a psalm of confident expectation. And David most likely wrote this while he was running from Absalom or Saul. Um, not really sure, but either way, he understands chaos. So there's chaos going on around him, just kind of as there is in our world right now. So he understands that. Uh, the overarching idea of this psalm today is to see it as an enabling of us to develop confidence during times of trouble. The first eight verses, we see desire after God and confidence in Him, and then the final three verses, we see the judgment of God against His enemies. So we see David walking us through this. So if you will join me, uh, if you have your Bible, and let's read through Psalm 63, and then we'll see what the Lord has for us today. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, David says. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you've been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me, but those who seek to destroy my life 
shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let's pray, church. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to present it. Um, God, thank you for uh, Pastor and his ability to get away for a few days and um, giving me this, this chance. I pray, Jesus, as I've been praying for my brothers and sisters this morning and over the last couple of days, that your word would go forth and that we would hear what you want us to hear and respond appropriately to your Holy Spirit. I pray that again, God, that that would be how we move today. Be glorified. pray these things in your name. Amen. So good to be with you again. If you're joining us on the internet, feel free to uh, type in a hello, um, and we'll, we'll look at that as we go along. Thanks for joining us. Uh, again, Chris, guys, thank you for making this happen. There's a lot of people who still don't feel comfortable in joining us, and that's totally, uh, that is totally understandable right now. So I'm thankful that everybody is still able to hear God's word. So we're going to look at four points this morning, and our first point actually has four sub-points, and I want to be really careful here because I could plant on these first four points and <laughs> spend a long time here, so I'm going to try not to do that. We want to make sure that we get to the meat of kind of what we're talking about this morning. But the first section comes from verses 1 and 2, and this is kind of David's actions. This is, you know, he, what he is doing, and obviously we're not David, but this would kind of be uh, what we bring to this party, if you will. And so we see in verses 1 and 2, we see our pursuit of God. We see our pursuit of God. So uh, our pursuit of God. So again, David, he says, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. So you see, uh, David's using a lot of uh, of personal nouns there. It's me. it's, It's about me now. Granted, this entire message, this entire psalm, and this entire book, okay, is laced, and the key subject matter of this entire word is King Jesus. So don't mistake that suddenly this is about David. That's not the case at all. This is just his response to God. So we see our pursuit of God, and underneath that we see four specific ways that we do this. So number one, we pursue God as our personal God. So our pursuit of God, and we pursue God as our personal God. God, you are my God, says David. And this is an absolutely amazing truth. David writes this, church, David writes this. So this is Psalm 63. He writes this after he has committed adultery with Bathsheba and has been confronted about it. So he has committed adultery and murder, has been confronted about it, makes his confession, and yet his personal relationship with God remains intact. What a, this is a glorious truth of encouragement for us. Okay, David's done all this mess, and his relationship with God remains intact. As a matter of fact, till his dying day, we understand, you know, David was known as a man after God's own heart, even all the stuff he did. But please understand that David is not given a pass to continue sinning by God in this case, and neither are we. We are not given a pass to continue sinning after we meet Christ. David is not given a pass to continue sinning. But but the truth is, it just reminds us of the faithfulness of our God despite our unfaithfulness. If you joined me Wednesday night, you heard me confess that a previous favorite verse of mine was 2 Timothy 2.13, which says, when we are faithless, he, speaking of God, remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. He cannot be what he is not. God is not unfaithful, so he cannot deny himself. 
And so this is a big deal right here that we see God remaining faithful to David, even despite David's faults. Okay, but, but remember, um, th this is why it's such a big deal that it's a personal God. We mess up, and God is still personal to us. So David is not only acknowledging God as the mighty one, but as his own. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So you can see some personalness in that passage there in Hebrews. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to him must believe he exists. It's this personal thing. So David pursues God as personal. Uh, we pursue God with earnestness. We pursue God with earnestness. Now, the King James Bible says we pursue God early. That's, that's the word it uses. I preach out of the ESV. Pastor Matt preaches out of the ESV. But in the King James, the word used here is early. And granted, it's not me, so not early like me early, but early as in like a time frame. Uh, but, but what the word means in the original he, Hebrew is not a time in the morning, but rather an eagerness or an immediateness. So this early is like, God, I'm going to seek you with eagerness, with immediateness. And some of you are like, amen, because I, I seek the Lord, Jamie, but I do not seek him early because I don't like the mornings. Totally understand that. But when we do seek him, we seek him with this eagerness, with this immediateness. God, I have to have you right now. Charles Spurgeon describes this verse this way. He who truly longs for God longs for him now. And possession breeds desire. He who longs for God longs for him. God, I need you right now. And that's, that's, that's what David's saying right there. God, you are my God, and there's a desire I have for you. So a quick question. Do we pursue God with earnestness in our own personal lives? I mean, we have to think about that, and we'll discuss, we'll kind of bring up that question again more at the end. But do we, do we, do we pursue God with earnestness? Thirdly, we pursue God because he quenches Longings. So we pursue God because he's personal, or as our personal God, we pursue him earnestly. We pursue God because he quenches longings. Now notice the description David uses here. David uses the phrase, my soul thirsts. Now he uses this phrase because his soul is deeply restless and unsatisfied without God. This thirst is an insatiable longing after that which supports Christ. So it's, it's or which supports life, excuse me. It's this insatiable longing after that which supports life. We don't breathe, we die. We don't eat, we die. We don't drink water, we die. And David is saying here, God, you are the one that supports life. And I have this insatiable thirst after you. And so he pursues God that way because he know, knows that God quenches longings. David also says he quenches us in a dry land where there is no water. And church, we need to be careful not to get comfortable in the dry land that we are in, because we are in the wilderness. Okay, God, we are simply sojourners through this life. God has given us beautiful things to see, beautiful things to taste, to touch, and all those are wonderful things. Uh, as a matter of fact, Bill Bubba Busty from the Rick and Bubba Show has described God's creation as far as we understand it on earth to be his throwaway. So everything that God creates is so much more amazing than we understand that this thing on earth is just like his throwaway. And so I'm not saying that we don't enjoy what God has given us, but make no mistake about it. We are in the desert place. We are past, we're simply passing through longing for the promised land. And we have to be really careful as sojourners through the desert to not get comfortable here. Because when we get comfortable here and we start looking to this life 
for things that will quench us. We see out on the horizon, oh, okay, there's some water I see, it will quench me. When we get to it, we come to the realization it was just a mirage. And so the things of this earth don't actually quench us. And so David is saying, God, I pursue you because you quench my longings. And let me say this, if you are looking for your longings to be quenched in an election, quenched by a country or satisfied by a lifestyle, you will find yourself dry and empty. So please do not rest on those things for your longings to be quenched. And David wasn't. He was pursuing God because he knew God alone could quench his longings. And lastly, we pursue God rightly when we view him rightly. You see David saying, behold your power and glory. David sees the power of glory, power and glory of God, pursues him. So he's saying all this, God, I long for you as in a dry and weary land. God, you are my God. I behold your power and glory. David sees God rightly and he pursues, he pursues him rightly. Um, uh, no, I'm not going to take a phone call from you. Um, um, wow. No, decline. Thank you. So sorry about that. Uh, we pursue God rightly when we view him rightly. So that's kind of our engagement, our personal engagement, what's going on. Secondly, this is where we see God begin to pour out himself for us. We see the fulfillment and satisfaction of God. We see the fulfillment and the satisfaction of God. So while you're writing that, let me read to you verses three through six. So David has come through that first section and he says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So fulfillment and satisfaction is what God provides. Uh, John Piper, if any of you know who John Piper is, he's one of my favorite pastors right now. I'm a huge fan of Matt Chandler, David Platt. Obviously, there's a ton of guys that I am huge fans of. But John Piper, he established the ministry that he leads right now, which is known as Desiring God, on the basis of this quote. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So... John is understanding that God gets great glory when we are satisfied in him. So in this section of the psalm, we see the confession of fulfillment and satisfaction from David. So he's not just confessing randomness, he's confessing, God, you fulfill me, you satisfy me. We see uh, that it is better to die enjoying his loving kindness than to live without it. To dwell with God is better than life at its best. Acts 17, 28 says, In him we live and move and have our being. Church, you sit in here this morning because God allows it. You got up this morning because God allowed it. You breathe in because God allows it. Whatever you have for lunch, you will taste it because God allows you to do so. So in him we live, because without Christ, without God and his sovereign grace, we don't live. We move, literally, you don't take a step without God allowing you to do so. And we have our being, so our very essence of who we are, God allows that. So we see that fulfillment and satisfaction of God. And upon our understanding of this fulfillment, we respond in praise and worship, lifting our hands, praising him with psalm. You see David right there in verse 3, my lips will praise you. And then you see him going on to saying, in your name I will lift up my hands. If you've seen the movie... Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise, his character is speaking to Renee Zellweger near the end of the movie, and I'll just tell you, Tom Cruise got it completely wrong when he said, you complete me. 
because nothing and no one can complete, quote-unquote, complete us or fulfill us or satisfy us except Christ. Nothing. My wife uh, is the greatest earthly treasure that I have, but she does not complete me. She does not complete me, and, and she was in the first service, was kind of joking, I, w- I would hope her confession would be the same, that I would be her greatest earthly treasure, but if she is looking for me to provide complete satisfaction for her, I will fall desperately short. And let me kind of give you a personal story about this so you understand what this satisfaction and completeness uh, looks like. In September of 2014, me and my mom tra- traveled to Toronto to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. So those of you who have known me, I've been here a little over a year and a half, probably understand that I have a little bit of a problem when it comes, when it comes to hockey. Most every video I make that y'all see is a hockey jersey in the background or, or, or you know, I, our, our students, we've got a little competition going about who can remember what jerseys I've worn during the quarantine. And if you'll go in my office, you can definitely tell I'm a student pastor because I've got all my toys, hockey toys sitting on the shelf. And so I, I like hockey. And so my mom took me and I got to see the Stanley Cup and there's two Stanley Cups, one that they keep on display at the Hockey Hall of Fame and one that they give to the players. And I've seen both. I've touched both. I've kissed both. Um, I've done all that. So I went and I thought, this is wonderful. And I got there and it was great. And I was like, this, this is great. So it fulfilled me for a second. And then I left and I was like, I want to go back. And so last year, me and Ty, we went back to Toronto and same thing. You know, we both kissed the cup and looked around and had a great time. And and he'll tell you right now, I want to go back, Dad, so I can get some Tim Hortons. And as a matter of fact, when we went back uh, last time, the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors, were in the playoffs with the Toronto Raptors. And Ty was actually interviewed for a news station in San Francisco and got on the news in San Francisco, California, um, because, because of that. We left, and I was like, this is so much fun, and I wanted to go back. So much so, as a matter of fact, I sent my mom a text about six weeks ago, and I said, Mom, for my birthday, I want to go back to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Because it fulfilled me. It's like, all right, I've got to see the Stanley Cup, and I've seen all these Hall of Famers, their plaques, and all these jerseys, and it's wonderful. But it left me empty wanting more. And so, Lord willing, we may be going back so I can, I can see you again. But see, it's this emptiness in life. It's like, oh, you're looking for fulfillment in that. It's not going to permanently fulfill you. And so what David is saying, he is saying, God, your covenant love is better than life itself. Your covenant love is better than life itself. And when you see that word, that's a big deal, church. If you've ever heard the phrase, let's cut a deal, that's where this comes from. The Hebrew word for covenant or cut a deal was karath. And what they would do is two men would come together, they would take an animal, they would cut it lengthwise, they would fold open the pieces, they would walk through it in agreement, and they would say, hey, whoever breaks this deal, may what happened to this animal happen to you. So when people made a deal, it was a big deal. When they made a covenant, it was a huge deal. God has done that. Remember, in the flame, he passed through the pieces as well. So when you see that God's covenant love, you know that it is a big deal. And David's saying, your covenant love is way better than life, God. There's nothing else that satisfies. Nothing in this life is dearer, Jesus, than you. And so here's a thought. A life at ease, a life in a palace, a life in health, honor, wealth, pleasure, and peace, even a thousand lives such as this, cannot compare to you. So David is pouring out his heart saying, Jesus, you, you fulfill me. And then he goes on to say that his soul, you know, this deepest part of him will be satisfied with God. Charles Spurgeon describes this passage this way. 
There is, in the love of God, a richness, a sumptuousness, it's a good word, a fullness of soul-fulfilling joy comparable to the richest food with which the body can be nourished. And notice what, how David describes the food. He says, as with fat and rich food. So we're talking like, God, you satisfy me with good food. You know, if any of you know what a no-bake cheesecake is, anybody know what a no-bake cheesecake is? I'm not talking about no-bake cheesecake satisfaction. I'm talking about let's go to Cheesecake Factory and spend 10 bucks on, a sli on one slice of cheesecake. That kind of satisfaction is what God provides. Now granted, you'll eat the one piece of cheesecake and you're like, wow, I'd like another piece of cheesecake. So it doesn't eternally satisfy, but that's what I'm talking about. God satisfies in that way. Now listen, church, do not be mistaken. What I'm saying this morning, I'm not talking about earthly, best life now type of satisfaction. I'm speaking of deep, eternal, and complete satisfaction and fulfillment. The fulfillment and satisfaction that only Christ provides. That's what David is saying. He's like, God, you provide the satisfaction, this fulfillment for me. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And so, can I confess, we as believers, myself as a believer, too, much, too often we do this, let me just put my toe in the water and see, of all these things on earth that do not satisfy. And David is saying, do not do that. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Psalm 90, 14. Satisfy us in the morning, David is writing. The, the psalm that I was supposed to be preaching this morning, Psalm 34, 8, says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So when you taste something and it's good, you want more of it. It satisfies you. And so, church, don't miss the way that David closes this section of the psalm. So he reflects on verses 3 through 5. So he looks back, your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will bless your name as long as I live. My soul will be satisfied. And so in verse 6, he says, when I remember you upon my bed. So he's thinking back to all these things. He says, I will meditate on him in the watches of the night. I will meditate on him in the watches of the night. Meditate on you in the watches of the night, David says. Remember, he was most likely writing this when he was in the wilderness fleeing from either Saul or Absalom. But even in light of this, David's focus and longing is on God. David's focus and longing as he's looking back on God's faithfulness is not on God, will you give me protection from these guys that are trying to kill me? It is not will you give me um, satisfaction with rest or anything like that. It is on Jesus. So he's looking back at the greatness of what God has done for him, and he's not saying, God, I even want that again. He's saying, I want you. His focus is on God and God alone, and that's where, that's where we should be. We should be focusing on Christ because he is the one that provides that ultimate satisfaction. So we see that God fulfills and satisfies, and secondly, we see that God helps. So we see the help of God, the help of God. Verses 7 and 8. And I mean, David makes it plainly. You have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So we see the help of God. God has been our helper in the defense of his wings. So in light of that, we will sing, David says. David is recalling here the past deliverances of the Lord 
Remembering the Lord's faithfulness that has been proved out in his own life. God has got to be faithful when you can commit adultery and then have that woman's husband murdered. Okay, God, David is like, man, God, you have been very faithful to me. So he's looking back at the past deliverances of the Lord. He's remembering the Lord's faithfulness that has been proved out in his life. Now, again, a reminder again, most likely he's in danger at this time of the psalm, but he still rests in God's help. Even in the midst of chaos, he still rests in God's help. The safety that he has discovered under the shadow of the wings of God leads to his response of joyful singing, which, by the way, should be our response. We should sing joyfully when we remember who God is and what he has done. Remember David, he saw God rightly. We saw that in verse number we saw that in verse number two, beholding your power and glory. He pursued God rightly because he saw God rightly. Church, when we think about what God has done for us, there should be no hesitation in us but to sing or lift our hands or fall on our knees in worship. That should just be this natural response. I think it was John Piper actually said, missions exist because worship does not. And we, we have fallen out of that place of worshiping. So not only a joyful singing. So David's saying, I'm not just going to sing joyfully, but I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to be glued to you, or, or God, I'm going to be rooted to you. God, uh, rooted to God, knowing that he upholds him. David's like, God, I know you uphold me. I'm going to be rooted to you. Okay, those of you who have parents, you remember when your little kid used to wrap their arms around your leg and sit on your foot and drag you? You know, you would drag them. I've joked with some people in the office this week, that's going to be me when I get to heaven. Like, I'm going to be that guy, you know, clinging to the leg of Jesus. And he's probably, eventually he's going to be like, Jamie, I, I'm here with you for all eternity. You do not have to, like, hold on to my leg at all times. I'm going to be that guy. I cannot wait to be with him because he has been my help. He satisfies. And so that's what David's like. David is like, I'm going to cling to you, God. I'm going to be glued to you. There's a quote from Martin Luther where he says, pray and let God worry. Obviously, we know that God does not worry. God is not in heaven right now wringing his hands going, oh my goodness, the situation is just crazy. I don't know what to do with it. That's not, that's not what God does. But we know, uh, when we see that David is proclaiming in verse 7 and 8, it should bring a foundational base for us. Here's what we do. We look back and see the faithfulness of God in our lives, and we look forward knowing that we are sheltered by under the wings of God and upheld by him. So we look back at his faithfulness and we look forward knowing we are sheltered under his wings. Um, my first full-time ministry job was an interim, so I was like the go-between guy. And then my first like real full-time when I was the guy I was in Oklahoma, me and my family moved to Oklahoma in 2012 and served there for four years. And so when we had to come, when we, God was leading us back to, when I, I say we had to come back, that when God was leading us back to Alabama, it was tough. I mean, it was tough. We'd fallen in love with those people, and one of my wife's best friends we met there, and um, you know it was it was hard. And you think, God, you know, I know you're moving, but but why? Why is it so difficult? And so we just, you know, we see everything this way, you know, like laser focus on one thing. I received a call about a year ago that there was some unrest in that church we were serving at, and the church is 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 falling apart. And I don't say that to say anything, but God knew that that was going to happen. And so he was faithful in removing us from that situation, even as difficult as it was at the time. Same way with the church that we were serving at before God led us here to Central Park. Very difficult situation when we left, extremely difficult. But God was very faithful because it was not a healthy place for me and my family. So we got to understand, that, that's all. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. We always look back because we see the narrow view, but God, even from the beginning, sees the broad view. And so well, that's what David's doing. He's looking back. Oh, God, you have been so faithful. I mean, think about that in your own lives. 
Think about that in your own lives. Where have you seen God's faithfulness in the midst of maybe a place where you were like, God, where are you? You know, God moves in those places. And then just like what David was saying, we, we, we trust our eternity. We rest our eternity on Christ. There is no reason that we should not rest tomorrow on Jesus. I don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. I have no idea. But we know that he is going to be and is our help. And in the shadow of his wings, as the psalm says, we will sing. I said this in the first service and maybe a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to say it again. What's the worst thing that could happen to us? We could die. Paul said to die is gain. So rest on the fact that Jesus is our help. Don't let what you see on the news or social media freak you out. And understand, it's, that's normal. We're flesh, and so we see things, and we, all, we process things in our own mind. Our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. But rest, rest on the help of God. Rest on the help of God. And lastly, we see the judgment of God. So we see that God satisfies and fulfills. We see that God is our help. And lastly, we see that that we see the judgment of God. Verse number nine, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Uh, now last week Matt did a fantastic job talking about the coming judgment that will be passed upon those who are enemies of God. And so there's not a whole lot I can add to what he said last week, but I want you to see that there's a, another theme of this in this particular psalm. And Spurgeon says this, he says, those who speak lies will be made speechless at the bar of God. So everybody who speaks big on this side of eternity one day will be silenced when they stand before the bar of God, when they stand before his bar and his judgment of truth. Church, hear this, God will bring doom to those who are his enemies those who oppose his kingdom and interest in the world. And I want us to have a foundational understanding that the enemies of God who stand in opposition to his plans will face judgment. So people who are coming against followers of Christ, we need to rest in the fact that God will judge them. There's going to be a day when judgment will come against those who oppose his will. The hell which is brought upon those who follow Yahweh Every blow aimed against the godly will recoil on the persecutor. He who persecutes the godly drives a nail into his own coffin. As Matt said last week, those who oppose God, their end is in God's hands. We need to rest in that. I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult sometimes to think that. Man, I can't believe, you know, that, why would God allow that to happen? One day judgment will come for them. And so, church, rest with confidence. His faithful followers shall have an occasion for triumph. Those who know the Lord as their God should have reason to glory when he proves himself the defender of those who are his. So one day, all will come to a head and God will prove himself as the defender of those who are his. Rest in that, rest in that truth. You want to talk about a culmination of everything we've talked about? That is ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. That is knowing God helps, and that is knowing God is faithful in his judgment. And so that's how um, David ends this. He's saying the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him will exalt. So he's talking about the joy that we have being in God, for the mouths of liars will be stopped.
Now please know, church, that David speaks these truths, all these truths he speaks as a follower of God. He speaks all these truths as a follower of God. And we're, we're not going to get into the discussion of, well, how was David a follower of Christ before Christ? We, you can ask that. Uh, you can ask that later. I'll be happy to talk to you about that. But he, he speaks out these truths as a follower of God. If, if you aren't in a personal relationship with Christ, you cannot respond in any of these ways. You can't respond in these ways if you are not in a personal relationship with Christ. And so, as we're moving to a close, I want to ask a couple questions. You know, I talked about bringing these questions up again. Number one, are you pursuing God? If you are His, if you are God's, are you with wholeness pursuing Him? Okay, are you with wholeness pursuing Him? Okay, confession, honestly, this season has been very difficult on me spiritually. If I can just confess before you honestly. You know, we get in such a routine of doing things a certain way, and then that routine gets completely, I mean, not completely shifted. I mean, that routine was annihilated. And, you know, I know we have a teacher in here, and so those of you who teach, work that way, I mean, you know things were completely discombobulated. And so it really took a toll on me, just being honest. But let me just ask, are you pursuing him earnestly? I mean, are you pursuing him with all that you are? If you're his, you know, why not? Why aren't we? Secondly, does he satisfy you? Do you find fulfillment in Christ? If not, why not? If you don't find fulfillment in Christ, why not? Okay, you know, so I kind of made a joke about hanging on to, to Jesus um, when I get to heaven, and that probably will be very true. Um, I've told our students before, and I will continue to tell them and tell you, church, that heaven, heaven is simply the extra. The streets of gold, you know, the river of life, all that, that's simply the extra. Jesus is the goal. We get to be reconciled with God. Heaven will seem pale in comparison to looking at the light of his glory. So heaven is just this extra that we get along with Christ. But let me ask you, let me, let me just kind of frame this. 2010, we were in a Bible study. One of our friends said, if you woke up in the morning and find out that you could, were still going to heaven, but Jesus would not be there, would you be okay with that? I would not be okay with that. And so the question is, does he satisfy you? Like, if you had nothing else, if you just had Jesus, would that be enough for you? And that's a difficult question for me to answer, just being completely truthful. Because, you know, we have, you know, we can go down the road right now. It's a season of Chick-fil-A peach milkshakes. And, and you know, it's a season of that. If, if, if I didn't have that, if I had only Jesus, would he be enough for me? And the question I reciprocate to you as well, is Jesus enough for you? Does he satisfy you? And if he doesn't, why doesn't he? Another question, are you resting on him for help? Are you resting on Jesus for help? Of any time in the history of the world, as far as I've known it, if there is a time to be clinging to Jesus for help, the time would be now. And I don't say that... I don't say that to strike fear or anything. It's just that's the legitimate truth. If there's a time to be resting on Jesus for help, the time is now. Don't rest on who gets elected. Don't rest on, on um, unrest. Don't rest on any of that. Rest on the help of Jesus because he is the only one that can actually help. He's the only one that provides that help. He's the only one that satisfies. So why would we, why would we rest on the help of something that can't even satisfy us, that would leave us empty in the end? And last question, have you come to an understanding of your sinfulness against a holy God? Have you come to your understanding of your sinfulness against a holy God? And those of you who are watching 
uh, via YouTube as well. Have you come to an understanding of your sinfulness against the Holy God? Have you, by faith, trusted in Him for salvation and surrendered your life to Him as Lord? If He is drawing you, if He is drawing you this morning, please respond to Him. I'll be more than happy to stay afterwards and talk to you if, if you want to do that. At the end of the service, they're going to put my information up on the screen. Feel free to send me a text or an email about that. I would love to talk to you about that. I want every one of us in this room to rest knowing that Jesus fully and completely satisfies. And he is our help in time of trouble. So let me draw us to a close, church. Um, let's just go into a time of prayer real fast, and then, we'll, and then I'll dismiss us. Out. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Thank you, those of you who are joining via YouTube for joining us as well. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for today. God, you are very gracious and very kind to us. Um, I first want to just ask a couple of questions again. Obviously, we can't, we can't come and have a formal invitation, but if there's somebody in this room or somebody that is watching, I pray, Jesus, if they don't know you, that you would just speak to them right now. Uh, I pray that they would respond. God, if there is somebody in this room and, and they, they want to make a decision to know you, I ask that they would come and speak to one of us before we leave. Or if somebody on the World Wide Web is watching, that they would you know, shoot, us a, shoot me an email or, or put a comment in the, in the comment section of the video, hey, I would like to talk to somebody. And I pray you'd speak to them. King Jesus, if there's someone in this room or people who are watching and, and you have spoken to them this morning, uh, this has nothing to do with me. You know, I'm not looking for some sort of encouragement or anything like that. If you have spoken to them, God, I pray that you will give them the understanding of how they need to respond to you. Holy Spirit, however they need to respond, help them in that. God, because if we hear you speak, Jesus, we, we, need, we need to respond. And so help us to do that. God, we acknowledge that um, help us to pursue you just as David did. Help us to pursue you rightly. Help us to pursue you earnestly. Help us to pursue you knowing that you quench our thirst. God, help us to pursue you because you're ours. What a greater reason to pursue the king of the universe, that, he, that we are his and he is ours. God, I, I am yours and he is mine, bought by the precious blood of Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who satisfies and fulfills the deepest longings in our life. And, you know, we kind of made a joke about cheesecake, and we thank you for things like that. For, you know, when you eat a filet mignon that just melts in your mouth, God, or when you go to the ocean, you smell, you know, you smell that sea air. Or for me, when I go into a, an ice rink and I feel that, that coldness on, on, on me. You know, we praise you for those things that you have provided that, that bring a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. God, but we ultimately rest on you and praise you because you are the one that satisfies ultimately. God, we thank you that you are our help. God, you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. I pray all of us in this room would rest on your help. And Jesus, I pray and rejoice over the fact that one day judgment will come. And God, I pray that with a heavy heart because I ask that those who persecute, those who bring accusation against, God, those who may seek to destroy or kill those who follow you, I pray that by your Spirit you would draw those men and women unto you that they may know you, that they may be rescued. 
God, but I pray that also knowing that those who are unwilling to do so, who deny and curse your name, one day judgment will come. And I praise you, Jesus, that you're a God of kindness and mercy and grace, but you're also a God of judgment and wrath and fierceness, and you must be both, and we praise you for that. God, thank you so much for our church. I am so grateful for them, so grateful um, that this is home. So be glorified through our church, Jesus. May, they, may everyone who has been in this room today uh, feel a sense of your blessing because of how grateful we are for them. Go before us today, King Jesus. Uh, may you be glorified in our lives above all things. We pray these things in your name. Amen.